great summer day. We'll try to keep it short so you can get out and enjoy it. We are coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mountain, and uh, as you will see, uh, the theme of this entire sermon, uh, we never tread far from it. We seem to always have it on the forefront of our mind. Today we're going to be looking at uh, the three main things that I want to point out and hopefully that you can walk away with. I think it's really important and it's imperative that when you listen to a sermon, read a book, listen to a podcast, read your scriptures, uh, that you keep in mind that information does not bring necessarily transformation. And information without transformation does not bring the live word of God into your heart. It's just more information. And normally what we find is information puffs up and love edifies. So uh, it's important that you walk out and you say, okay, God, what are you going to do? What do you want to touch in my life today? Uh, it's interesting. I've told this many times to you before, but when I prepare a sermon, I'm usually knowing far, far ahead. So there's lots of weeks and lots of hours that come back and forth of looking at it. And it does not fail that something I'm studying brings some type of transformation. Uh, and always, transformation does not always come easily. Sometimes it comes with some pain. And so it's very, very important and that, that you lead and, and find yourself leading uh, into the Word of God. Don't just believe things that you hear Ben or Nick or I or when we're talking about up here for just the face value. Go back, study the Scriptures, and see, uh, are these things true? Are these things so? You would be foolish to not go back and look. Uh, especially as we begin to look at the, the starting here, beware of false prophets. Now, I want to differentiate between uh, bad teachers, poor theology, uh, sometimes even people that are not completely giving a full message. Uh, they're all different as opposed to that from a false prophet. And I'll share with you a little bit of the differences because God says you're to be aware. You're be, have your mind be guarded. The word means muse on, think on uh, these things. Beware of this. Uh, when we were swimming in the ocean uh, the last couple of weeks, we were telling our grandchildren there are a few things just to be aware of. And, and to be wise for you that you pay attention to what that, those things are. And so I, I want you to be, be cautious of this. We have teachers that simply, uh, they, they walk a good life, they seem to display a, a, a good message, but sometimes that message uh, is lacking something. You look in the book of Acts, uh, in the, you look at the end of the book of Acts and you see a man named Apollos. Apollos was a really gifted speaker. He was a great orator. People were amazed by it, obviously a way greater speaker than Paul. Paul himself even says that. And they said he was teaching accurately the things of Jesus. However, they took him aside and said, and they began to explain more deeply a fuller message so that he could have the message be more complete because he was not fully aware of the things that they were teaching. So even though he was teaching things that weren't quite complete, uh, you're to be aware of that. You're to be aware that when you hear people on the radio that, that you hear and think, that's a great, that's got some great things. But become aware that just because they have great things doesn't mean it's complete. 
You have also people that it says Paul warns, and Paul warns very harshly about those that are going to teach a gospel different than what you have been hearing. And Paul is saying that this gospel that I'm just bringing to you, I spent 14 years in the wilderness with my Lord. He gave me this gospel. It's not mine. He said this, and it is a gospel of God's love and God's grace and man's inability to live the Christian life. And then unless you're embraced in, into the life of Christ and his life flows through you and begins to flow out of you and display his life, if somebody comes and brings a gospel different to that that wants to add on to this by you doing works and you doing these things, let them be mutilated. Pretty harsh. That's a different, that's not necessarily a false prophet. There are a lot of people, uh, and I have been one of them, that has been preaching early on in my life about kind of a works-oriented gospel. So you have a lot of different things, but when he talks about the false prophet, these false prophets, they are concerned of what the outside looks like. It even says in Jeremiah, you wash yourself with soap so that you look good on the outside, but your deeds distinguish you, and I find them appalling. And so it's real easy for these guys. They look good on the outside. They're very uh, prosperous in the way that they do things. A lot of TV evangelists sometimes can fall into the, the realm of an actual false prophet. Because the Old Testament in Elijah, I mean in uh, Jeremiah, in uh, Isaiah, and even in Revelation, it says a false prophet is motivated to get something from you. They are out and it's usually something to do with silver or money or gold or whatever it might be. They want something from you. They're going to dress up real nicely, pretty, give you a nice soft message about how lovely you are and wonderful. And you can say to yourself, I'm a good person. I love me. And all these different things. And you leave. But basically, they want in your pocket. And sometimes it's the other deeds of the flesh are, might be prevalent where they, it's the lust of the pride of life. Maybe they just want the, the arrogance that you go ahead and look at them and you see them and they will, and I'm nothing wrong with having a nice car, but they'll drive the fanciest cars. They'll have on the new parking lots out here, instead of a V and C, they'll have their name written down on it. And these are false prophets and he says, beware, beware of them. So first of all, we need to become and be aware of them. And we need to uh, pay attention. Uh, you also have the teachers that are really, really into, uh, they will call it a theology. A theology is good. We don't have a walk in life without a theology. But they're way more inter interested in the intellectual. They're way more interested in what you know and what kind of words they can speak in the Greek language. I studied Greek for a while, and I gave up because I couldn't master the English language. So I've just got to, I'm trying the best I can with one language. And so you got to be careful of these. It says their motive is always to get. And Paul says, when I taught to you these, this message that I proclaimed to you, I didn't take any of your silver. I didn't take anything from you. I even worked so that you would not put me in that place. Because he was bringing, you guys, a pretty radical message, if you really think about it. Nothing you can do can earn your way with God. He chooses you flat out, and he births you to himself. It's a pretty radical message. But he gave it without trying to get something from him. So it says, beware of those. Beware of the false prophets. The other thing in 1 John 4, 
It talks about be aware, testing the spirits and testing the messages to see who is of Christ and who is of not. And those that are proclaiming Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead, they're the real ones. Now, I want to stop here for a minute and interject something. Just because somebody uses the name Jesus Christ, just because somebody says that they got this from Christ, just because somebody says they're Jesus, you can say, well, they're talking about Jesus, so they're not the false teachers and false prophets. That is not true. Jesus is not a letters of J-E-S-U-S. He is a person. He's a life, and he takes on a personality. Let me give you an example. Somebody comes up to me and says, uh, hey, Bill, I, I heard you got a new pastor, this guy named Ben Green. Tell me about him. Do you know him? <laughs> ben? Like brothers. Said, he's this. He's, we're close. Tell me about him. Well, he's pretty cocky, pretty arrogant. Uh, Likes to wander all over into a lot of prosperity teaching. I really believe you can work, work, and lose your salvation if you don't work hard enough. He's six foot six, 225 African American. Ah, oh, he's like a brother to me. What are you thinking since you met him first? Do I know this man? Not at all. One of the things that brought Ben here from us was his humility. He was a young man, in my mind, seeing somebody his age, having that humility was drawing to me. He seems to be kind of boxed into a pretty clear, simple gospel. He's definitely not 6'6", nor African-American or 225 pounds. You see, here's the difference. This person can use Ben Green's name, and he doesn't know him. There's a lot of people using Jesus' name and do not know him. Okay. So here is a key for you and here's a key for me. If you spend too much time on studying and judging false prophets or those that aren't teaching accurately, you're supposed to be aware. But I would suggest that you spend the majority of your time getting to know the original. Spend your time knowing this Lord, this Savior, this Jesus that we just sang about, if you begin to know him, you will begin to know those things that are consistently true and not true that people are teaching. It's not that difficult when you begin to know the original. When you know a person really good and somebody's gossiping about them, you can tell what they're saying that's a lie and what's truthful because you know the person. So my word for you is to get to know the original. Spend time knowing this Jesus Christ, not just the words that he says, because a lot of people read the words that are in the Bible. Even Jesus says, you look at the scriptures because in them you think they're life, but they're not. I am life. There's a person behind these words. And so he's telling us, beware of these false teachers. Beware of them. I kind of like the way uh, the message Bible puts it. It says, be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practice sincerity, chances are they are out to rip you off some way or another. Don't be so impressed with their charisma. Look for their character. Who, uh, who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. So I think that we need to look at it and say, okay, 
what is this that, and who is this that we look at and who we listen to? Second thing that we're going to look at here is when we look at the, the person of Christ and get to know the original, you're also going to know that when the disciples, and remember this, you've got to think of this and put yourself back in that day, when the disciples who walked with Jesus, ate with him, they slept, uh, they ate, they lived together, many times they got confused. And they said, who, who are the true disciples? And he talked about their character, and he talked about their way of life. And he says, those that love one another are my true disciples. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. God says, what I desire in a man, what I really desire in a man is justice and loving kindness, loyalty, and to walk humbly with the Lord. Do these people present a humble walk? Do they, or do they present an arrogant, I know it all attitude? He uses the word loving kindness to describe his, his disciples. Even when Timothy got all confused, he says, basically, there is a loving kindness. That word loving kindness is a powerful word. It means love overflowing with mercy. Mercy is splashing out of it. Mercy means you don't get what you deserve. So if Donovan did something to me, my loving kindness loves him, and it overflows with mercy. I don't hold that against him. So I do not believe you can really grasp love if you do not exercise forgiveness. Because forgiveness is an expression of love. It is overflowing that I'm willing to forgive because I have been forgiven. So you look at the character. We, we listed this talk, seed determines kind. And I think we need to be aware uh, of what does that mean. What is this fruit that it's talking about? And it goes on into the fruit that you have. If you remember, even in John 14, it says, believe me uh, that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or believe me by the sake of the works themselves or the fruit themselves. And he goes on and says that I will go ahead and those that know me and live close to me, they will be characterized by my, their fruit or by their works. And he goes on then in the next setting. It's, this hasn't changed. They're still sitting at the same table. They didn't even take a break. And he goes on to describe to them so they don't miss what is the fruit. And he goes on and says, He who abides in me and I abide in him, he will bear much fruit, and the fruit will remain. And then he goes on and says, If you are my disciples, you will bear forth and bring forth fruit. And he says, And you will keep my commandments. And then he stops and says, This is my commandment. This is my fruit, that you love one another. And it'll be absolutely characterized by a humble and a loving heart, and love will begin to pour out of people. The thing is, God gets the determined fruit. I want to tell you at least some things that fruit is not. And, and now, what I'm about to tell you is they can be products of fruit, but they're not fruit in themselves. When you look at a person that says, wow, he must be a Christian. 
He, he must be, you know, a disciple. He goes to church every Sunday. As a matter of fact, he's never missed a Wednesday. He, uh, he gives quite a bit, uh, and he lets you know what he's giving. And, uh, and he goes on, and he runs Bible studies. As a matter of fact, he has three Bible studies going on. And, uh, and it lists all these things that he does and all these things of, uh, of his fruit. That's not fruit. Let me give you a brief description of fruit, and then we'll walk it out today. Fruit that he's talking about here is the outward expression of the inward nature of something. If you walk by and you see an apple tree, you can be wise and determine that that's an apple tree. Okay? An apple tree is not going to produce oranges. The character of that Tree is apple, so what the fruit comes out is apple. So therefore, the fruit is not these things that you sit and hang out on here. The fruit is the inward expression of what the nature of you is. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ and he is your seed, that will determine kind. That means that anything that comes out of him and reflects that love towards people is fruit. It's the outward expression of the inward nature. So the inward nature being Christ, being presented out, now begins to be the fruit. So the fruit is the life of Christ being poured out. Now we're going to let you get a little pink at what that looks like, but don't misunderstand this. You're not going to go out and bear a bunch of fruit or produce a bunch of fruit. You're going to go ahead and simply be the container of that character being produced out. That's why it says no longer written on tablets of stones will they see you, but on human lives, human hearts will display the character of Christ. Not long ago, Nick, you shared a, a message about a story about your brother-in-law, Mike, who was taking some kids down on a mission trip, and I'll make this very short of what happened, uh, that they broke, the bus broke down and there was a guy that, uh, a rough, rough new convert biker, really kind of rough around the edges and he had just come to faith and his pastor called him and said, hey, we got some people broke down. The whole church came together. They began to feed them, do all kinds of things, went to fix their van. They, they did all of this pouring out of the life of Christ on them. And this guy, tough, rough guy, says, this stuff is real. See, it will change lives. It doesn't have to be. So the fruit is not so much what deeds are going to be. God gets to determine what the fruit is. But it's important you understand when he's talking about bearing fruit that it comes out as a reflection. Now, the fruits of the Spirit of, being, of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and righteousness and kindness and self-control, these are expressions of who Christ is. When we did that, I don't know, a long time ago about the fruits of the Spirit, do you notice that the fruits of the Spirit, every one of those is one of the names of God? <laughs> that's who he is. So when they're displayed out, that's simply the fruit. And you bear fruit, and that fruit remains. And that fruit remains. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you would go forth and bear fruit, and your fruit will remain. 
Now the one in John 15 says, These things I command you that you would love one another. Now Matthew 12, verse 33 and following says this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by the fruit. He says, For the, out of the mouth speaks out that which fills the heart. Listen to this. From the mouth speaks out what forms the heart. The good man out of his good treasures brings forth what is good, the evil man what is evil, and says, and I say to you that every careless word. I looked up and I started seeing that most of the fruit being displayed, not all of it, but the majority of it was from the mouth. Think about it. What if some, most of your greatest pains come from somebody's mouth? So he's saying out of the fruit begins to come the re- uh, the reflection of God's life and his love. Now, I had a pause on this. I, I, I've known a long time I'm going to preach on this, and it was kind of going along, and things were flowing, and I uh, come along, and I was, I was thinking, I'll say this about this, and this about that, and then it says, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit, and I kind of got that down. Yes, a bad tree, there's no possible way can a bad tree produce good fruit. The kind of fruit I'm talking about is the life of Christ coming out. It can't come out of a non-believer, so they can't produce this type of good fruit. They can do nice things, but then all of a sudden, I come upon the verse, A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. And I got stumbled stumbled up on that. It seems to me, I know a lot of good trees here that are producing some bad fruit. One of them standing up here at times. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going for a walk. I have got to sort this out. I got to talk on this in a couple weeks. And I got to figure out because I don't find this consistent in the Bible. I know lots of people that I know have Christ, and they're producing a lot of bad fruit. So I've got to find out what this means. And so I go for the long walk, and I'm talking to God and saying, God, I don't know what you want me to say, but you're going to have to reveal this to me if I'm going to have to tell it to people uh, about this. So I'm going along. I get all the way back done, nothing. Come back to Nancy. It says, didn't get a thing on this. We're going to have to leave this part out. I'm just going to preach, and then I'll just kind of go around that one. And she goes, what? And I said, this verse, good tree cannot produce bad fruit. She goes, oh, I, I see what you mean. And then it dawned on me. God just gave scripture after scripture came to me. In Genesis, there was two trees in that garden. Do you remember that? One was a tree of life. Who is that? In Revelation, the end of Revelation, and that river is going to be running down, but there's going to be a tree of life, and he that drinks from the tree of life has eternal life. Who is that tree? Jesus even makes it clear. He says in John 15, I am the vine, or you can say, I am the tree, you are the branches. And right when I'm talking to her, I said, It's Christ. We're not the tree. Jesus cannot produce bad fruit. Nothing can come out of him bad. He is that tree. Do you follow? So a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. After sermon number one, uh, this morning at 9 o'clock, I'm walking out. Of course, my wife always has 
a good list for me when I'm done. And she does a good job of giving me that list. So if you would follow with me, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, 10, and 11. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Doesn't that say everything there? The seed is inside you and if the seed is inside you, that seed cannot produce bad fruit. It cannot practice sin. It's in, incapable of doing it. Now, if you're going to go ahead and, and this is making you uncomfortable because you're saying, well, you don't live with me. I think you need to understand the fullness of this. It is saying that Jesus Christ, the tree, the vine, will not and cannot produce anything bad. There's no guile found in him, never will be. He cannot so therefore, he, the tree, cannot produce bad fruit. So what are we to take from this? What am I challenging you to do? He is saying this. If you abide in me, you will bring forth fruit. Your job is not to produce fruit. Your job is to abide in me. I think we have too many religious messages that are out here trying to manage sin or trying to control your behavior to be good. You're trying to produce fruit. I'm trying to produce fruit or trying to avoid producing the diseased fruit. And God is saying this again. Your job, stay connected to the tree. Stay connected to the vine. And if you stay connected to the vine, you will produce good fruit. My job is to abide. My job is to stay abiding in that. I am not exaggerating since this has been a message God's been pouring in my life. It is no less than 30 times a day that I am consciously saying this in one way or another. I will say this, okay, God, make me consciously aware of your presence at all times. Right now, I need to know that you are filling me and empowering me at this moment. Or it might be right in the middle of a thought that I have towards somebody. I'll say, wait a minute, I need to abide in you. I need to remind myself that you are my life and I need to connect myself to you. I'm constantly reminding myself of that because it's real easy for me to step out of that place of abiding. Now, the word literally means stay where you are. Christ is in you, stay there. Quit going somewhere else. So in conclusion to this, there's three things that are important. Number one, beware, we already talked about, be conscious of poor teaching, be conscious of false uh, prophets. Well, you know God gave you some signs of what they were like. Two is to abide, to stay in Christ. That's the thing you focus on and your fruit will come out and it will produce that. Third is to take a look at your fruit. Let me give a word of encouragement here that sometimes is not so encouraging. Is that is that sometimes you can't be a good evaluator of your own fruit. Ask your spouse sometime. They'll let you know what your fruit's looking like. 
I had a situation, very light situation this week. Uh, and again, I've told you this a number of times, uh, confession is really good for the soul and it's really bad for your reputation. But this is a confession. Uh, my son Nick was visiting with me and he and I were getting in a really neat talk and it had a real, kind of was moving into the depths of each other's life and he was asking me certain personal questions about his life and, and, and to help him understand that I was understanding him, I used an example. And the example was that uh, he's kind of taught me to cut up apples and have some peanut butter. And so that first snack, just use peanut butter and apples. And that kind of gets a good protein. It's a good fruit. So I did that. And I, when I was making, I took the scoop and put it on the plate and got it all off the spoon and put the spoon in the sink. And he quickly grabbed and says, Who's going to put that away? Puts it in the dishwasher. And so he asked me sometime uh, if he says things that maybe he shouldn't say. And I said, well, maybe for an example, uh, (laughs) uh, like, you know, the peanut butter on the deal, you know, you ought to know me well enough to know that that's just not like me. And he says, oh, I beg to differ. (laughs) I said, what? And he says, you leave things out all the time. And, I, and I'm, I'm knowing me, I'm thinking. I'm the one that if I go in the, the, the bathroom, the, there's toilet paper a little bit left. I don't leave a little bit there. I get a new thing. That, that's just me. What's he saying about this? And so he starts to say, no, no, that's just, this is what you do. You leave things out all the time. So I go home and... Uh, Talked to Nancy and said, we had a really neat talk today, me and Nick. And you know what he says? He says, I leave things out all the time. We were talking about, she goes, you do all the time. (laughs) You're kidding me. You guys, I'm not kidding you. This was all news to me. (laughs) And so I said, I, well, if one person says it, it's got to be some truth. But with my wife and my son said, it must be pretty true. Since that day, which is what, four days, I have probably found me leaving 20 things out and have to go back and fix them. Now, it's not a big deal that you leave the top of a can or like you leave your pop can, leave the lid right there. It doesn't mean life or death, but it does mean that I never saw it. And that it, somebody has to pick it up. So what really taught me this, and I'm challenging you, I gave ground and said, all right, Holy Spirit, total permission, show me every time I do it, not that I have to get this right and look better, but this is not the fruit of love for somebody else who's going to have to work on this. So just bring it to my eyes. You guys, I am sick. I leave things out all the time, and I've been going back, and I go back and get it again, go back and get it again, and I... You guys, I was absolutely oblivious to this. So I ask you, when you go down this hill and you do the three things, become aware of false teachers and those people that are grabbing your emotions and telling you all the goody-goody things about who you are. In this world, you can just be happy, happy-go-lucky when God says, don't be so surprised when fiery trials overtake you in this world. It's common for you 
to be in a kind of a hellhole here on earth because we have a place ready for you. If it's just a wishy-washy gospel, be alert, be aware. Second thing, don't work on all the fruit, doing or not doing, work on just abiding. Just stay connected and remind yourself on a regular basis to be ye continually being filled by the power of the Holy Spirit and from that will start to produce fruit. And then be wise to check the fruit. Sometimes you don't need your son to remind you something. You can see it. But I think it's really wise to give people opportunity to look into your life. And don't be defensive when it comes. I wasn't defensive because I did it and I was defending. I was defensive because I had no clue I was doing this. I thought I was just a good old kind person. Always thinking of everybody. Well, I wasn't. Okay, pray with me. Father, thank you that you are the producer of our fruit. And I want to thank you personally before these people, the brothers and sisters of mine, that from the day one when we began to talk about this Sermon on the Mountain, you said, blessed are those. And we realized at that moment that was the very inhabitation of your life in us is the word blessed that you inhabit our life. And here we are at the close of the study hearing the same thing. That unless we are inhabited by you, the very blessing of having God in man, we will not produce any fruit. Thank you that in the midst of this producing fruit that you said our joy will be completely full, overflowing. And we ask you to make this real in our life. In your holy name, amen.